I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Ain't no tomorrow. It's all about right now. Sets, fires, and hits the three. Chase makes it look so easy. Iguodala fakes, drives, and finishes. The championship is back in the bay for the first time in 40 years. Oracle Arena is alive and roaring as we get set for game seven. Trust your teammates. He stutter steps. He launches a three. Hey! Got it! Cleveland! This is for you! Warriors are headed to the NBA Finals for the third consecutive year. The Cleveland Cavaliers headed to the NBA Finals for a third straight season. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast. I'm one of your usual hosts, Matthew Wellington, and I'm joined tonight by one of my other usual co-hosts, Joe Hobbit. Hi there, Matt. We've assembled uh, just ourselves to discuss the uh, the NBA Finals, which have rapidly fallen upon us. Um, yeah, we're going to get the three-peat. Uh, I don't know if they're calling it that. Um, <laughs> that's what I've been calling it. I've, I've seen people calling it sagas and trilogies, and it's, it's just crazy to see how Golden State have walked through the entire Western Conference, which traditionally has always been the powerhouse conference in the NBA. And then even in the Eastern Conference, Cleveland have only lost one game in the whole of their playoff run, which is it's just phenomenal. So so in terms of like the three P, this trilogy has just been full of memories and and great moments and I think we're gonna get more to come. We've got LeBron James versus Kevin Durant, which is going to be incredible because it's arguably the the top two players in the NBA battling it off against each other. LeBron's going for this whole cementing his legacy against Jordan. Uh, And then you've got a a Warriors team which won 73 games last season, lost the final series, and then added Kevin Durant in the summer. So, so many stories. I mean, where do you want to start, Joe? There's a lot that we can can get on with, but if you want to pick a a little sweet spot. Uh, I want to talk about the Cavs' defense. Cavaliers' defense. Yeah, I think they're going to get... I think they're going to be in a bit of trouble. I think game one could get ugly, just because... I don't think they've been tested in the first three series. I think Indiana got them a bit, as I said last week, but um, but Toronto didn't test them. You know, they're an isolation team. Boston, their best scorer was injured, and and outside of him, they didn't have anyone. That's it's the thing. Like the Cavs are okay in isolation because all their defenders are quite good one on one, but their team defense is terrible. Like off the ball, they're just going to get destroyed. There's going to be loads of cutters, loads of off the ball movement. The Warriors set a lot of screens, and I just don't see how the Cavs are going to be able to deal with it. Yeah, it's a contrast of styles. Like the Warriors have a sort of slice and dice style of gameplay where they use a lot of cuts to, to create doors. And the Cavs, throughout the whole of these playoffs, and we said it going into the playoffs, like they looked bad defensively and they've not really been tested. Certainly in that Celtics series, the Celtics had so many open looks in that those games that if they'd had more scorers like everyone knows that that Brad Stevens team is built around his defense like if they'd had a a far more powerful offense then the Cavs could have been in trouble Uh, and it brings into question that whole debate we had on the last podcast where we said that Washington would have given them a sterner test uh, and they would have done and now we're going to get a team that like like Washington is is offensively orientated but the Golden State Warriors have that added key is that they can defend like they are just good on both ends of the court and when you've got Kevin Durant who's coming into this series having played LeBron in 2012 in that finals matchup when he was with the Thunder he's been here before and he's lost to LeBron James and I think this is really his chance to sort of cement himself 
on the NBA stage because the evolution of him as a player to the the point where he left Oklahoma, which is the place where he sort of grew up as a basketball player. Obviously, he was in Seattle for a while and then that went bust and they moved over to Oklahoma and he went to that finals in 2012 and he had a phenomenal series that year, I seem to remember. He was averaging like 30 points and scoring something like 33% of the Thunder's points. But they, they still just didn't stand a chance against that LeBron James team. Uh, and now the, the, the tide has turned. He's got three other Hall of Fame players on his team to, to rely on. But I still think this series could really come down to how well Kevin Durant plays and how well the rest of the Warriors sort of take advantage of those defensive lapses, like we mentioned, because they, the Cavs will, will lapse on defense and the, the other, they, they're just not effective at running out and chasing down shooters. They shoot a lot of threes themselves but they're not exactly the greatest defense in the world. And they, they lapsed late in the season. And I just think they they, they are going to be caused problems, like you said. And it, it's, it's that real contrast of styles where Stephen Curry has made the three pointer, just an unbelievable weapon. And he, he sort of redefined the word range because before you thought, you know, a, a three from the top of the key was, was normal, but now it's like he can hit them from half court. If he has to, he's got an unenviable, task ahead of him but uh, it's going to be an incredible series just to see how these two cancel each other out the only hope that I think the Cavs have got is that Iguodala and Thompson are not shooting well from outside Iguodala I didn't find this out yesterday he's shooting 11% from three in the playoffs 11 (laughs) yeah not good at all and to be fair they have faced two tough perimeter defenses in Utah and San Antonio but if we saw last year with Harrison Barnes where uh, you know my thoughts, and I thought he got he was scapegoated for um for Draymond Green kicking someone in the nuts. But I I'm a bit concerned that if those guys don't start hitting those threes when they're open, I think this series could get more competitive than Warriors wanted to be. Because in a close game down the stretch, I'm actually backing LeBron James. I think they need to try and make this as open as they can. The Warriors. Yeah, the Warriors have led for so many games this season. I don't think they've got that fourth quarter mentality like you were saying like if it comes down to being a close game they've probably still got that issue of who takes the game winning shot like who do you give it to I'd probably give it to Steph but also my fight it's about for me drawing up a good shot um, and I think they've got the shooters to do that but yeah Clay Clay's not looked like himself at all but I was just chatting to someone about this on Twitter. They were saying, well, are the Cavs going to leave him open? If the Cavs leave Clay Thompson open, they may as well just throw the towel in now. Like, yes, he's off form, but he's one of the best shooters. Is it is it too far to say one of the best shooters of all time? I don't think it no, is. Because no. obviously in this era now, he's probably not even in the top five three-point shooters. But you've got to remember that this is really a golden era of shooters. He's one of the best there's ever been, so... I don't think they can leave him open. The The key guy for me in this series actually, well, the guys, the bench, because you know these starters are going to put up good points, but I'm interested to see which bench steps up because Darren Williams is supposedly an upgrade on Matthew Delavadova. I'm not sure on that myself, purely because I think Delavadova is an outstanding defender and he was a big game player as well. He loved getting in all those scraps. Kyle Korver, he's not exactly delivered so far in the playoffs. But then you look at the Warriors, Ian Clark has had good playoffs. So I'm actually looking at the bench because that's when the game can be blown open. 
Like you were just talking about that Thunder Heat series from 2012, and I remember Game Five. Mike Miller came off the bench and hit, I think, seven three pointers, and that was really what blew it open for them. So I just want to know which bench do you think is going to step up? If I'm looking at experience, then I'd probably go with the the Cleveland Cavaliers because if you contrast it to the Warriors bench, they've got two rookies on that bench, and I know those rookies have come in and all they've done is win. Um, but the finals are. Are a different beast, and and like you mentioned, I generally think that someone like Delavadova gave them a real spark and a fire off the bench last year. And if someone like Andre Godala is not going to do that for you, I don't really know where else you're going to get it. I mean, you're you're kind of relying on your your starting five to have their best possible game because you need to get out ahead. Because I think if it if it ends up close and ends up in a bit of a dogfight, the Cavaliers will have the advantage that way because that's just like the way they like to play like Tristan Thompson and Channing Fry that they're grinding out players and if it comes down to you know needing to get a couple of rebounds to win the game then I I, I, gen- I would genuinely favour the, the Cleveland Cavaliers but yeah I, I don't I mean Patrick McCaw's a, a great young player but is he someone who you can really rely on to come off the bench he's had a phenomenal impact on the playoffs so far but for me it's just a case of how well does someone like Clay Thompson play? Like he's been bad during these playoffs. He needs to have a great game. You need this starting five to be, to be what they're going to play. 35, 40 minutes, all of them nearly. Yeah, I, around I that. generally think the benches might end up cancelling each other out. But if it does come down to the benches, I, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers will have the advantage. Yeah, I could see where you're coming from purely because... Iguodala's not really a spark player, is he? He's a, he's a good defender of free He was lost. like two years ago, but he's not really now. But he's, I think he's 32 now, and he's he's a big part of their lineup of death. But he's not a guy who's gonna who's gonna create his own shot. The player I'm interested to see actually is um is how they use Clay Thompson defensively because the Cavaliers have the advantage on rebounding. But Clay Thompson, other than Westbrook, might be the best rebounding guard in the league. So I'm actually interested to see if they use him inside a bit more as a defender, so that he can grab those boards and not let Tristan Thompson dominate the game because I think Thompson other than Drummond and Whiteside I think he might be the best rebounder in the league especially offensively he I mean he just crashes those boards and that's so valuable in a series like this because the Cavs probably aren't going to get loads of good possessions just because of how good this Warriors defense is but he's going to give them extra ones and I think that could be a, another pivotal factor as well as the bench units. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see how the sort of the the tables have turned really. You've got the Cleveland Cavaliers coming into this third final series in the last 3 years and it's just they are the best three-point shooting team in the NBA. They were phenomenal this season and the Warriors I think were eighth in in sort of well, they 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 were eighth in three-pointers allowed per 100 possessions and sort of which has been the middle of the pack for the playoffs so far and the Cavs have just been blitzing everybody they've played fair enough the competition in the Eastern Conference has not been that great but coming into this final series I think that could be a real difference maker is just how Cleveland stretches the floor this year Kevin Love is having a really really quietly great playoff like series he's just been phenomenal in that in that game against the the Celtics, he just looks like he's not going to miss. Like I don't know, I don't have any shooting percentages or, or or anything like that. But every time I watched him, it just looked like he was he was going to score because he was constantly left open. And I I think people kind of forget about him as being like a guy who was top five. Like what? 
five, six years ago, like people were seriously considering him to be one of the top players in the NBA. And he's, he's such a weapon to have standing out there and just knocking down threes. Obviously the Golden State Warriors aren't going to be stupid and they're not going to leave him open. But I think if they get a big game from Kevin Love this, in these series, this could be, re- this could be a lot more competitive. Cause I don't know about you, but I've, a lot of the US media is just sort of writing this off in terms of the finals, like in terms of being competitive. Like that, they're just saying, you know, the Warriors are way too good, but everyone is just seems to be counting out LeBron James again. But Kevin Love has been great, and Kyrie Irving's had good games and a good game the other night. And I think there's more to it than just the Warriors have got four Hall of Famers, therefore the series is over. I think the problem I've got with the Cavs is you know this idea of they they flicked a switch. I don't want to repeat myself for what I said about <laughs> ten minutes ago, yeah. but they they. They haven't been in a position where they've needed to flick a switch because the Raptors didn't test them. The Pacers are the Pacers. No offense to any Indiana fans listening, but that's not been a good team now for two years. And then Boston, the best player was in. I just, you look at how, I think people sometimes forget how high powered this Warriors offense is. It's not like, like the Rockets offense is all based on shot selection. So they're going to go up and they're going to shoot a three quickly because they'd rather shoot a, a contested three than a wide open mid range jumper. That's just the way they're built. This Warriors team can hit you inside as well. Like Durant, he can. You we saw what he did to the Spurs in that game one, which was the only good game of that series, where he was killing them inside in that fourth quarter. I just don't think the Cavs have the personnel to stop. I think it will be competitive, and this is what I said on Twitter. We'll probably do predictions soon. I've got Warriors in five, but. I'm not going to count out LeBron just because of what he can do. It's like Tom Brady or Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo, you don't count these guys out because they are winners. Yeah. And in basketball, and in basketball, I think it's more. I think it's easier for one guy to win a game than it is in in other sports. But I just, I don't see the personnel to stop this team. I think Delavadova was a big loss because I think he 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 was a psychological weapon as well. He really got under their skin last year. The Warriors, yeah. whether they want to admit it. Yeah, I also think the Warriors get overlooked in terms of the way that they've actually developed as a team as well. Because coming off the final series last year, a lot of people were saying, including myself, that Stephen Curry needed to develop more of an all-round game. Like he couldn't just rely on hitting crazy three-pointers. And I think he's done that. Like the the the, the games he's played this this season, certainly when Durant has been on the court, he's been far more. Uh, pass friendly than I think he's ever he's been in a long long while and just bringing in Durant has has turned this team around uh, well not not turned them around that's a stupid phrase but like it has reinvigorated them and given them a new lease of life because they could not they couldn't quite believe they lost that that final series last year through like they had the 3-1 lead they were dominating most of those games uh, and it all turned on Draymond being suspended for game five uh, and that was just the series turned at that point and LeBron James started doing what LeBron James does. But I think KD is going to be the difference maker. I mean, you've said before, and I think I, like, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I, for a while, I think you were, you were topping him as being the best player in the NBA. Yeah. I, I think, I think I've edited that opinion now to he's the best scorer in the NBA. Yeah. Cause like LeBron's obviously a much better passer. And um, the thing, and someone else bad around people overlook how good of a defender this guy is. This is a, defensive player of the year candidate every single year as well people i think people overlook that about him but you're right i I like harrison barnes but obviously durant it doesn't take an expert to know durant is different gravy to harrison barnes 
yeah, I just don't see a way how the Cavs stop this team, but I may be my words in a month. Yeah, I think Durant's going to be the guy for me who's just the reason if this series isn't competitive, it's purely down to him. The guy shoots 70% of the rim, like, in terms of his hotspots. He's, he's just a phenomenal player all over the court. He's not just got a, a, a long range game, but he can grit and grind in the paint, like you were saying. And then you add to that his like seven foot frame and his crazy wingspan and he's just an incredible defender. He scores a hell of a lot of transition points. He 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 enforces turnovers. He's good on the pick and roll. He's he is the perfect player for the modern NBA because he does everything. And he he shot fifty three percent this year. That's what you expect yeah. from a center. <laughs> yeah, that's what you expect from like DeAndre Jordan who just dunks. Yeah, that he's a jump. Sh- well, I, I don't want to call him a jump shooting player because he does more than that, but. He's a guy who takes a lot of jump shots and he shoots 53%. That's insane. That is, he's the best scorer I've seen since I've been watching. And I've not been watching basketball as long as quite a lot of people, but just as the pure scorer, I think if the Cavs can turn this into a, into a series of 1v1s, I think they've got a chance. Yeah. But I think if the Warriors make, I think if the Warriors make this a team game, I think they've got too much, but, I think LeBron can neutralize Durant, but then you've got the thing now where, oh yeah, if Durant's not playing well, they've got Steph Curry. Oh, if both of them aren't playing well, they've got Clay Thompson. Oh, if, if for some, yeah, the chances of all three of those not playing well is like, what, 2%? And if those three aren't playing well, you've got Draymond Green, who's very capable of scoring. So there's a lot to think about for the Cavs. I would not like to be game planning against this Warriors team. No, I wouldn't either. And then you add in the fact that the Warriors swept the Western Conference, which means they got quite a bit of rest. Like Durant was averaging 33 minutes a game. That's compared to LeBron, who was playing 40. I know LeBron's points per game were higher, but the the impact of, of him and the age he is against Durant, who is still considerably younger. And Durant now, compared to the 2012 finals, is a completely different basketball player. All these people on Twitter who are like, oh, KD's going to, you know, shy away from the limelight on the, on the big stage. He's not that guy anymore. Like, he's going to come out and I genuinely think we could actually see him, like, attempt to not, not take the crown off the bronze because it's stupid, but like really stamp his authority as being the, the second best player in the league because he can do everything. And I think back in 2012, it was like LeBron's, it, that was LeBron's shiny moment, and I think now the, the tables might have turned. I think we might get this for Durant, and he, let's not forget, like he's been waiting for this all season. Like the Warriors have been quite vocal this week in coming out and saying that they're fed up of the way that the Cavaliers have had fun during these playoff series. Like they, they've been all business and nothing but business, and to go twelve and zero and to average one hundred and fifteen points and only give up ninety nine a game. It is, these are incredible stats, and when you combine the two teams together, I think they're twenty four and one in the postseason, which is the first time it's like that's ever been done by the two teams competing in an NBA Finals. And it's just a pure treat that we're going to be able to watch this. The only problem we've got is it's like what two a.m. on Friday morning, so it's going to be a late night for most of us staying up to watch Game One, but. We've waited all year for this, and I mean, do you, do you think it's going to live up to the expectations of having sort of a ten months run up to it? I think I'm, I'm, I imagine Adam Silver's hoping it does because his product is getting wrongfully trashed. I think. Yeah. I think people are saying like, "Oh, this is rubbish." And do you know what annoys me actually? As someone who follows the NFL, when people bang on, "Oh, the NFL's got much more power." The NFL, the AFC, <laughs> there's been three quarterbacks 
in the Super Bowl from the AFC since 2001. So I hate how this, you know, people come across, it's been Big Ben, Tom Brady and Joe Flacco. So I, I, I don't like this idea that the NBA is not power. It's, it's no different to it's been as bad. This league is at its best when you've got a couple of teams at the top and you've got a couple of older teams declining. So I'd put the Clippers in that bracket. You could probably put Dallas in that bracket because they were pretty good five years ago. And we've got a couple of young teams who are going to close that gap. You've got the Bucks, you've got the Sixers, you've got the Timberwolves. I know some some of you are probably going to laugh at that, but there are teams who are going to push. The NBA is a league that's... Teams are always evolving in the NBA. You know, 10 years ago, I'm sure people were saying of that Kobe and Shaq Lakers team, yeah, yeah. they're going to win everything, they're going to dominate everything, there's no point anyone else turning up. But that didn't happen because other teams caught up. That's the way this league is. And... I don't like, I can understand the lack of parity argument, but I've got a simple solution. If you don't like it, don't watch it. I'm not saying people aren't allowed to moan, but it's kind of like people moan and then sit down and watch every game. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, if I was that out of love with basketball, I wouldn't be on this podcast anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just cut ties with it. The, the product, I think, is, is probably the highest we've, we've, well, certainly I've seen it in the, the 15, 16 years that I've been watching the NBA like then those Lakers team that you mentioned like they came off dominating and then they ran into Detroit who kind of just like the 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 the, fa- the the phrase is infamous with the NBA they'd shocked the world like no one expected them to win that finals and <laughs> I don't know like looking forward I know we've not even done this finals yet but like next year like we could quite conceivably have these two teams in the finals again I just think they're that far ahead of everybody else. I know the young teams are coming through, like you mentioned, but they're still a couple of ways off. The Boston Celtics thought they were close and they were proved wrong. The Toronto Raptors thought they were even closer. They were proved even more wrong. And the Washington Wizards haven't got a bench. So that's true. There's teams in this league that need to need serious overhauls and serious movements this summer. But that's why we love this league. Like you mentioned the NFL being supposedly like not competitive or competitive, sorry. And the, the the NBA is interesting all year round. Like 365 days a year, there is something interesting going on in the NBA because we have the final series, the finals finish, then we've got the draft, and then we've got the summer. And the summer's when all these interesting moves are made and everyone gets to speculate on who's going to do what for next season. And the NBA is the best league in the world, in my opinion, at selling the stories, at selling its players. Like the LeBron James versus Jordan thing is everywhere in the states at the moment like i know that the nba doesn't get huge coverage over here but if you turn any any of the american stations on it that's all that they are going on about and it's yeah. something that we i don't know i guess british people don't quite understand because we it's, it'd be like um i don't know the premier league going on about sort of i don't know alan Shearer and them like when when blackburn won the league it's it, it just doesn't happen because the league is so so attached to its now whereas the nba is is a bit engrossed with its history and you, we're always comparing, and that's why it get gets a tad annoying when you watch NBA on TNT, and like those guys are always just going on about how the league's rubbish now, and it's the league is progressing, and it it, it has to progress to to you know to to gain new new viewers and new fans, and certainly in the UK, the way that the game has progressed the last few years, as we've mentioned before, like the way the Warriors play, it's the best it's ever been in this country. That's the thing I've I've got two points here they're kind of related so people talk about the lack of parity in a minute ago i said that i don't think there's parity 
But does that make the league a bad product? Because I think this league is a great product. No, because the regular season was great. It's it's on it. Like you compare. I'm going to bring up the NFL again. I'm sorry if any of our <laughs> listeners don't like the NFL, but but comparing Adam Silver to Roger Goodell. Yeah, no, know, don't do that. It's 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 like comparing you know a mansion to a shanty shack. It's like there's no <laughs> there's no comparison there. So you've got the NFL, they've got all their concussion problems. There's nothing like that in the NBA. Yeah, the biggest problem we've had in recent years was the Donald Sterling problem. Yeah, when he was he was racist, wasn't he? Like, yeah, and even that was that was swept that under was the rug with within like a month. Away. That was dealt with straight away. This league is great. Now, and another thing I will say, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, this Warriors team is turning people off. I think it's the opposite. I think people are getting into the league because of Steph Curry. Like, if you go to a gym, I used to go to the gym, if I'd gone to the gym six years ago, I wouldn't have seen a single NBA jersey in there. If I go to the gym now, which I will start doing again at some point, um, <laughs> that's been my resolution for about three years, I will see jerseys in there. I will see Steph Curry jerseys. I will see LeBron James. You might even see a Derrick Rose jersey now and again. The, the People like Curry have improved the product because even if I'm not a huge fan of the way the Warriors go about their business, they're fun to watch. It's not like they're just dumping it into some you know, seven foot unit in the post and showing it's good to work. This is entertaining basketball. Yeah, I don't see how anyone could look at this league and go, yeah, this is boring. I think it's great. The playoffs were boring, but that was bad luck. You know, you look at the, do you remember the 2015 playoffs where we had like, I think it was 14 buzzer beaters. That's just, that's life, isn't it? You know, there's going to be some years where the playoffs are great. There's going to be other years where it's bad. There are a lot of factors. We had injuries this year. We've had some coaching changes. I don't know. I, it sounds like a bit of a rant, but I just don't see how anyone could look at this product and go, yeah, I don't want any more of this. I think it's great. Yeah, and that's you, you've got to take the team's paths and analyse them as well. I mean, like the Golden State played Portland in the first round, right? They swept that game. Portland snuck into the playoffs in the last like two weeks of the season. They didn't really know what they were doing. They added Nurkic and all of a sudden they became a team that looked like it was capable of winning a few things. And they were never going to truly compete with the Warriors. And then the Warriors end up going through against the team that didn't and playing the Jazz, who nobody expected to beat the Clippers. Well, maybe a few of us did, but like the Clippers have the superstars, and the superstars usually play well in the playoffs, and they just didn't. And there was a lot of injuries, and that series was was as grit and grind as it gets. And that's a young team in their first game against you know a team that was the the champions two seasons ago. They get swept, and then the Warriors play the Spurs, and they're down big in that first game against the Spurs. But then Kawhi goes out, and the whole series changes on an knife edge. Like it, one player has such a huge impact in this league, and we don't really get that in other sports. And then you go and analyze the, the Cavs in in the Eastern Conference, and they played the Pacers. Paul George missed big shots. They messed up a couple of you know they were in those games. The Pacers, they just like you said, they've been rubbish for a few years. Toronto don't really know what the hell happened to Toronto. Like, Milwaukee seriously took it out of them. And then Boston, like, Boston tried to play up to the hype and and quite clearly couldn't. And I think the product is at an incredibly high level. Uh, we're, we're privileged to be able to watch it. We've got great coverage in this country now. Like, certainly the best coverage we've ever had. I mean, we started this podcast in 2012 and it wasn't as easy to watch the NBA as it is now. Um League Pass and stuff was obviously still a thing back in 2012, but there was nowhere near as many games on BT Sport and Sky and BT were still fighting over who wanted to have the license. And I think the coverage that we've got, certainly in this country, has just been fantastic. But in terms of like the quality of the league, 
it's been great. It's just we've had a dodgy playoffs, and it happens all. And, you know that that's, that's just happens. <laughs> that's the point I want to make to people, though. That there's been multiple factors for why these playoffs haven't been great. I'm not going to sit here and like be some you know overly positive, but the playoffs haven't been as good as they should be. But there's been. It's not because of Kevin Durant went to Golden State. No, there's people it's, blaming Durant for everything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I've got to say, I, I always defend him there. You know, I don't like the tough guy attitude he's got, but he's he is not the reason his playoffs been bad. Kawhi got injured. That happens. I think also if you go back and you look at the playoff seedings, I think they were kind of, they were unfortunate in how they were ordered is what I'm trying to say. I think there's that as well. We've had, we had a lot of sort of injuries as well, as I've said, just repeated myself there, but there's been multiple factors is what I'm trying to say. I don't know how anyone could look at the seed and go, yeah, LeBron and Durant have ruined it by creating these super teams because next year, you know, if things go well, we could have an even better playoffs. It's just, it's been unfortunate, but I don't think this is like the way it's going to be forever. I think the NBA is always changing. It's not a conservative yeah. league. It's not like a team where, you know, like how many teams have made the playoffs in the last five years? I think, I think it's all of them apart from about four. One of them is unfortunately my Timberwolves, <laughs> but hopefully we'll write that eventually. But I don't know. I just, it kind of annoys when you go on Twitter now and people are like, oh, the league is rubbish. Oh, the finals are going to be rubbish. I, I just, I don't agree with yeah, it. We also need to, and a lot of people forget this, is like, as, as UK fans, we're actually really privileged for this because we are now watching the league that has made a hell of a lot of money in the last five years. And the cap space has increased for every single franchise in the NBA. And these two teams are the product of the initial years of that boom. So the Warriors had a hell of bad luck for the first few, sorry, the first few years of Steph Curry's career with his knees. And then the cap hit and it has given them the, the opportunity to go out and expand and to add all these role players and to add someone like Kevin Durant while still keeping Steph Curry on a cheap contract. And Cleveland, you've got that factor of LeBron James has now been to seven straight finals. James Jones has been with him to all seven as well. And like guys follow him. They want to play with him. And then you've got the, the opportunity of playing with the Warriors who are the, this huge brand. And like Steph Curry is like Under Armour were not relevant seven, eight years ago. They are relevant now. And that's because of Stephen Curry. Like one man has made an entire sports like brand relevant. And that's incredible. And these two teams are just the, the product of. The, the expansion of this league and the TV license money and, and all of that. And that's, that's the thing with these Warriors. There's something that I always say to people, and it's not a revolutionary concept because everyone knows that the way the Warriors were built is a one in, I wouldn't even say a hundred, I'd say one in a thousand. So Steph Curry kept getting injured, which meant that he couldn't justify a Matt's contract, even though he yeah. was a good shooter. Cause you know, before 2013, it was almost like, oh yeah, Steph's going to be great for 40 games. And then he's going to hurt his foot. Because I remember, you know, now he goes top 10 in fantasy leagues. He used to be like a sixth round pick that you just accept you're getting half a year out. Draymond Green is a six foot eight rim protector who's like, they can play small because he is as good as, he's as dominant as Rudy Gobert has on Whiteside. Kevin Durant just happens to blow a 3 1 lead against the Warriors and wants <laughs> out. And also that personality clash as well between Durant and Westbrook. Like, so many things went right for the Warriors. It's not like this is easy to do. And I think that's the thing people miss. People think it's easy to create a super team. It's not. It's not at all. Not Even if you've got like a loaded owner who's happy to just 
plow money in. It doesn't like you look at Sacramento. Vivek is happy to go like well over the cap, but it doesn't turn into a result. And that's that's the point I make. I think a lot of people when they talk about super teams, they disrespect the way the Warriors have built this team. It's built from the ground up. Yes, Durant Albert. Even if they didn't have Durant and they'd let's say they'd given Harrison Barnes four year hundred million this summer, that's still, still a, the still best be team really in the good. league. Yeah, that's still the best team. Like Harrison Barnes is a really good player. So I I think it's I think the super team is. I don't like the argument anyway, but I think it's also very disrespectful to the way the Warriors have built this team. You you could even look at Iguodala. They um they si- yeah they signed him in free agency, didn't they? After he left the Nuggets, like that was yeah. that's been a big part of it because he's the reason their lineup of death works. So so yeah, it sounds like a bit of a rant that I've gone today. I I just don't like what I'm seeing on Twitter right now. Yeah, it's it's just you know it's an immense amount of luck that has effectively built this Golden State Warriors team. I think they I read something earlier, they've won over 200 games in the last three seasons or something ridiculous. It's just it's, it's incredible to think about it and, you know, Clay Thompson no one really thought he was going to be well, certainly not one of the greatest shooters to ever play the game, but he's been phenomenal and he's arguably been the odd man out for a lot of the, the games this season, like there were rumours they were going to trade him. And then they gambled. They bought in Andre Iguodala, who looked like he was towards the back end of his career. And then he That's... had an incredible season. Sean Livingston had come off a, of, you know, what was what, what even was Sean Livingston doing before he returned to the Warriors? That's the thing with Clay. They tried to trade him to us three years ago for Kevin Love. Yeah. They wanted Kevin Love, and I think we said no because they wanted. I can't remember. I want to say it was someone like JJ Barea thrown in, and we just said no. And and also the Cavs won the lottery and. And um, got Wiggins. So let's say the Cavs hadn't won that lottery, with uh, they wouldn't have been in the market for a guy like Kevin Love, and we may have ended up trading him to the Warriors. And is the Warriors the same team with Kevin Love? No, but they're still a very good one. Like there's just been so many factors that have gone into that Warriors team that people overvalue. Uh, sorry, undervalue. I think you you can even look at the coaching staff. Like if Mark Jackson hadn't been such a hard person to work with, they wouldn't have fired him. They wouldn't have got Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr wouldn't have brought in Alvin Gentry who installed this offense. There's just been so many things that have gone right for them. And it's just, but this, it doesn't mean the league's in a bad way. You know, this is the way it's always been. At least the games are entertaining. I, I, the other day I was looking at some of the old playoffs from like the mid 2000s. And I came across a Pacers Pistons series. All the games were like, the scores were like seventy nine, seventy four. <laughs> like I don't see how Defense. people can exactly. I don't see how people can strive for that over this. The playoffs haven't been great, but things will get better. That's the way this league works. It will. It will always. It will eventually even itself out. There's going to be other teams who challenge. Yeah, it's the evolution of the players as well. You've got centers and power forwards now who can shoot threes better than than guards. Like it's just the way the way yeah, the league has, has has gone. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, the best way to beat these small ball teams is with, you know, big guys inside. We've got Carl Anthony Towns. We've got, we got that. I think everyone's overlooking that New Orleans pairing of Davis and Cousins. Like, even if people don't think it can work, that's still two of the top, what, 10, 12 players in the league. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like an antithesis for beating these small ball lineups. The league is, it's sick, it's cyclical, the league. You know, in 10 years, we may look back at these spread offenses when people are going back to the big offices and go, wow, we should have been a bit more grateful for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm not one of these. I don't think the finals are going to be superb, but 
I'm not going to rule out LeBron. It's very marketable, is what I should be saying, really. Yeah, it's like it's, well, it's a Hollywood film. So, like, it is. It the, is. The, the NBA right now is certainly more marketable than it's probably ever been. I mean, Jordan is the the catalyst of all this. He came onto the scene, and they've got a player who's so gifted and so talented that they could sell the game abroad and and completely build a a, a sports empire around that. And now, like they, how how lucky has the league been? Like they had Jordan, and then they had Kobe, and like LeBron was playing at the same time as Kobe, and we've we've got Kawhi coming up now. Like there's there is Giannis, yeah, Giannis. There's guys who const- this this league is consistently evolving, and because of the the high quality of the play, players are coming in and they're having to play at a high level. Like Giannis, are you telling me if he comes in twenty year, twenty years ago? He'd be as phenomenal or as notable as he is now. Like, I, I generally don't think he would because he comes in now and he's having to comp- like, He's in the Eastern Conference. He goes up against Paul George and LeBron James and guys like that every single night. And certainly a lot of the, the, the international players, they've got a bit of a chip on their shoulder, haven't they? And they come in and they want to prove to the Americans that they can play. You see that with the way Pazingis plays. And, I mean, that's the one thing I've got to hold against this finals is I'm just generally looking at the, um, the, the, the nationalities. And I think there's like, every, there's, there's like four players who aren't from America in, in the rosters combined. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. For now, be Zaza, Tristan, Thompson. But let, I mean, if you're going to count Canadians. Yeah, you're right. There's no, <laughs> that's, if you're going to count Canadians. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's, I, mean, I don't think there's any Euros in this other than Zaza, is there? Unless I'm missing someone. No, it's, yeah. I mean, so yeah, Kyrie's got Australian uh, background, hasn't he? But yeah, that's that's one disappointing thing. But that's really like that would be me nitpicking if I was to say that. But I think that's the next step, by the way, for European basketball. I think we need like a a top Euro in the finals. I know we had Dirk a couple of times, but I don't think basketball was as big in two thousand six, two thousand eleven as it is now. So maybe if Janice can get himself to the finals. Yeah, that could be very, very good for European basketball. It's That's why just... I love watching the Spurs when they're in the finals because it's like the foreign legion of basketball. Like they've just got players. From <laughs> yeah, everywhere. they just they just roll out anyone from like Latvia and all these places. It it's great, and there's there's a and that's another thing that's underrated about the NBA. There's a lot of competent front offices. Again, I'm bringing up the NFL. There's a lot of teams in the <laughs> NFL who would just run like garbage. You go across the NBA. I think you could say 24 front offices know what they're doing. So that increases the product, that increases the coaching standard. Yeah, this league's great. And I think it's growing every season as well. Like I'm obviously an NBA blogger. And every year, I, my timeline gets busier than it was, you know, f- like four years ago. My timeline was basically just me and about a dozen people. Now, there's like 200, 300 people on my timeline at all times of the day talking about basketball. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's really good. You know, we, you know, what's really going to start growing on us is when like people actually start moaning that the Spurs are too good and that they've got consistent success. It's like you know, we're moaning about the Cavs and the Warriors being good for three years. Like the Spurs have been good for the last eighteen years. People, <laughs> like, yeah, when are we going to start moaning about them? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think people, I think people, I think a lot of it is that people like to just go against popular opinion. I think they see this product as growing and go. Well, I don't know why you like that because it's not competitive, but it's not yeah. cool, man. It's not cool. <laughs> no, it's not. I, but I, I. But what's your prediction, by the way? I forgot to ask you for the finals. Oh my god! Because um, I've gone Warriors in five, but I feel a bit harsh counting LeBron out. But I'm sticking with it. 
Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think we're going six. I think Warriors in six. That would mean they finish it off in Cleveland. They'd finish the series off in Cleveland. Yeah. Oof, but I think, be, um, that'd be brutal. I mean, I can't see, uh, the, the Cavs have got to get two games at least, but then I don't know. I've watched the Warriors so much this season. Like if the Warriors get ahead, these, this, these games are over. Like if there's a 15 point lead in any of these games, I generally think it's over. Before we move on to other stuff, I just want to say the key in this series for the Cavs is they have to literally destroy the boards. Like they have to be crashing those boards, getting as many extra possessions as they can. Because as much as I enjoy JaVale McGee, if they do keep crashing those boards, in fact, that's another thing. People forget how good a rebounder Kevin Love is as well. If they keep crashing those boards, the Warriors are going to have to put McGee in there or Zaza to go and, you know, assault people. But I think that's how you beat the Warriors. They have to force the Warriors to go big. And even then, that's not a definite success because McGee isn't rubbish. And they've still got all those three points. But that that's the only way I can see the Cavs getting two or more games. The worrying thing for me, if I'm the Cavaliers, is just like, how much can you rely? I know Tristan's going to be rebounding and crashing the, gr- the glass and grabbing everything he can, but where's Kevin Love going to come in all li- li- like stand in all this? Like he can't, he can't protect the rim. Like I know he's not really got anyone to play up against, but if Draymond Green comes out and has a Draymond Green series, he could dominate this series like by himself. He's such an incredible player um, that I just think he would have. A huge edge and JaVale McGee, like him and JaVale, they've had really easy points, like routinely throughout these playoff games. And I could see it being exactly the same. The, the Cavs are relying on Tristan Thompson to do everything for them. And it's this slice and dice that I mentioned earlier. I think the Cavs have got to figure out a way of stopping that. Now, whether it's you, you know, Kyrie has the best defensive performance of his career or LeBron James, it comes out and, and cuts those off by himself there's huge, huge question marks hanging above Cleveland. I think if you like your safe bet is the Warriors, obviously, but I don't want to count out LeBron. I've been wrong. (laughs) It's always difficult to, but I think if the Warriors go inside, I think they're going to win this. I think if they, because like last year, I remember watching those games six and seven, they were just shooting threes. And I know that people go, but that's the best shot. Well, I don't believe in that. A quote Jeff Van Gundy said in game one of Warriors Spurs was, it's soul-destroying as a player and a coach when you when just get you battered. Yeah. Also, let's say you let's say the Spurs use probably, what, 22 seconds of the shot clock, get a layup. It's soul-destroying for, for your teammates when you run up the court and you shoot a three within two seconds and it misses. That's psychologically soul-destroying. And I think that was a problem for the Warriors last year. They were just forcing out. You know, you get analytics people now go, but that's the best shot. Well, I don't I don't think analytics take into account player moods and player psychology. If I'm the Warriors, I'm just trying to kill them inside for that first game because then that's how you open up the perimeter. And yeah, that's my final sale. And, and that has a negative impact upon someone like Kevin Love. Like if Durant is in the post and he's backing up on Kevin Love for the whole game, the mentality of love is like I can't guard this guy. Like I can't, I can't stop this guy. And I think Durant is the biggest factor in this series. Like if he dominates in the inside, then that opens up the space for Clay, who needs to have a good series. Steph, who's been you know great throughout the playoffs, he could have a bounce out game. This is the problem that the Cavaliers have got. Like there's only two guys on that team I think who are capable of having like what forty point explosions. 
Kyrie Irving and LeBron. I can't see that from Kevin Love. I can see that from Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant. There's three guys on that team who can do that. Like Draymond Green will do it in, in his own way, whether that be blocks and rebounds and assists. He just does everything else like the quiet stuff that no one notices. But I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's going to be a really hard ask for, for Cleveland to, to stop this, this Warriors team. Yeah, I'm with you as well. I just think, I think there's too much there. Certainly inside as do, well. Do you think Draymond Green could be like the MVP? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think he could. I mean, it depends on your definition because I think he is the most valuable player on that team purely because he's, Does he's the reason they, he's the reason they can play the way they can. But I, I'm a, I know Iggy won it two years ago, but I don't think voters look past the box score. So I think the MVP is just going to be whoever scores the most points, unfortunately. Oh, well, I don't like, I, you know, Kevin Durant is going to come out and I think if the, he's talked the talk all season, it's time to walk the walk. Like, get out there and do what you've got to do. Um, right, moving on to some news. Uh, where are we going? Uh, John Hammond has left the Milwaukee Bucks to become the Orlando Magic GM. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? This is an interesting one, considering he was the, the catalyst in bringing in Gianna Santantacumpo and Jabari Parker and uh, and even Malcolm Brogdon and and Thon Maker like this past draft like he has been influential in building this team. I mean, what does he see in Orlando besides the sun? I think you got to remember as well when he came to Milwaukee, they were a mess. Like I remember, I only started probably getting into basketball in about 2011, but I followed it a little bit before, and I just remember Milwaukee is like the Cleveland Browns of the league. Like they were just the Brandon Jennings teams. Exactly, they were abysmal. But he turned it around. He drafted well. You even look at some of his early pit, John, uh, Larry Sanders. I know he quit in unfortunate circumstances, but he was really good. Uh, John Henson as well. I think he drafted Jimmy Fredette and traded him for a lot of play. I can't remember exactly who they got, but basically he drafted very well. And that's what the Magic need because they've not drafted well in recent years. You know, Alfred Payton, Aaron Gordon. Yeah, they're okay, but they're not franchise changers. And I, I'm interested to see actually more the effect on the Bucks because Hammond was very pro Jason Kidd. Yeah. And Jason Kidd is quite divisive. If you speak to Bucks fans, it's kind of like half like him, half don't. I think a lot of it is because he's not, he doesn't really coach. He's, he's very, very laid back and loose with how he coaches. So I'm interested to see if this has any more effect. And, if if they do start disrupting that system, that could potentially knock them off um, course a bit because they're in a they're in a really good place right now. I hope this doesn't disrupt them because I think in the short term they're one of the closest teams you can get close to LeBron. Yeah, I think the I think if you're the Magic, you're bringing him here, bringing him in to make the most of these picks you've got. I mean, looking at looking ahead to June twenty second, they've got uh, the number sixth, the twenty fifth, the thirty third, and I think the the thirty fifth pick in the draft. Um, so they've got to use those wisely because at the moment Orlando is not exactly a free agent destination, is it? It certainly hasn't been since Dwight Howard left. And they've been a franchise that's just been in complete disarray the last few seasons. I mean, we saw it a few weeks ago when, when the, 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 the board of free agency targets was, was leaked on Twitter. Yeah, that pretty much sums him up in recent years. And, and I, I think one of the reasons they brought him in actually is because historically he didn't really go into free agency. And I think they need to avoid that. I'm a big believer you don't build a team in free agency. I know some might say, oh, look, but the Miami Heat, that's a freak occurrence because you know, it just happened that LeBron James wanted to go and get some nice weather and play with Dwayne Wade. Like that, I don't think most teams are built for free agency. They need to draft better. 
But the interesting thing for me is that they've stuck with Frank Vogel. I think that's a good decision because they've had some bad coaches since um, Stan Van left. They had Jack Vaughan and they had Scott Skiles, who I'd never know why they appointed him. So hopefully that'll bring some st- some stability because they've been quite unwatchable for the last couple of years. Because at least teams like Philly have had a couple of good young players. Orlando just had nothing. Yeah, which is a real shame because like, I like just generally going off topic a bit, but keeping on the the, the 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 magic. Like I have friends who go to the states, and when they go to like Orlando to Disneyland and stuff, they always go and like try and watch a magic game. And it's like I feel a bit sorry for you because like the magic aren't really a thing. <laughs> like it's like no. when it's like when people go to New York and they're like, oh, I'm going to see the Knicks. It's like, oh, good luck with that. <laughs> But like, there's there's some good players on this team. Like, I I like Terence Ross. I know he's never he never really had his time in Toronto, but he had breakout games like against Denver. I seem to remember in particular, and Bismarck Biombo was signed. But like, they just have no direct no sense of direction. This organization, and hopefully John Hammond comes in and changes that. Because if there's one thing you can say about the Bucks the last six seven years is that they have certainly had. A direction like they've known where they've going they've been going since 2009 i'd say the first year for john hammond was a bit of a write-off like his first draft pick i think was joe alexander which yeah that weren't great but um since then like that he's built a, a really good organization they landed greg monroe when nobody expected them to land him and they kept hold of chris middleton and like like you said earlier on they're one of the, the young up-and-coming teams a couple more moves and they can be a real contender out in the eastern conference but Orlando, it's like a new, it's, it's, it's effectively a new project for him, I think. He needs to, they need to get rid of pretty much everyone. I think they'll keep Aaron Gordon just because he's athletic, he's quite modern. I think they'll move him to the four, but like, I'm looking down at this roster now. I like Nick Vucevic. He's not a guy who belongs on a rebuilding team. He's a guy that other teams should be targeting, basically. Biombo, I never understood that signing at all. Yeah, he had a couple of good games in the playoffs and everyone went mad. Yeah, that, and that's another reason I don't like free agency. I think people buy into a small amount of production and go, yeah, we'll give you a hundred million for that. You know, it's not good. They still got, they've got loads of kind of streaky players. They've got Jeff Green, Terrence Ross, Mario Hazonia, uh, Evan Fournier. They, this is a long rebuild. It's going to be probably a couple of miserable years for the Magic because they tried to win now last summer when they got Ibaka, which was just the worst trade I think I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah, because they, they gave up, was it a they first gave up round a pick, pick for that? Yeah. They gave a pick, Oladipo, who was their best player in my opinion. And yeah, that didn't end well. And then they ended up moving in for a second round pick to Toronto and Terrence Ross. So yeah, this is quite a long rebuild, but. You, there's got to come a point when you do just say enough is enough and you commit to the rebuild. That's what Dallas need to do as well. You know, not to go off topic, but Dallas need to do that as well. Just go, you know what? We're not going to win with these guys. Let's let's rebuild. And I, I have respect for them for acting because Hennigan did not know what he was doing. I didn't think. Yeah. Speaking of rebuilds, we'll move on to the Boston Celtics. Are they going to do this whole blow it up thing? Because, you know, they, they were the first seed in the Eastern Conference. They got through to the Eastern Conference semifinals. They were bounced 4-1 by the Cavs. Isaiah Thomas did all of this in the backdrop of his sister dying. And it, it just, he seems to, like, throughout that whole series, I just felt sorry for him. Because, like, every minute it was like, oh, he's going to get traded. He's going to get traded. It's like, how much more can this guy do for your team? And the Celtics fans are jumping on his back. And, uh, yeah, admittedly, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's not a majority. It's like, 
you know, I don't know, the weeds in the corner of Twitter, but um, they're coming out and, and saying he should be moved. They've got a big decision to make, the draft show, which I know you're recording tomorrow night. Um, so that'll be out at some point during the week. But I think the Celtics have got a really interesting summer. Yeah, so do I. I've, I think they should keep Isaiah, but not as a max player. I think if he wants a max, although I don't think he will, because I don't think anyone's going to give a five foot nine point guard a max, unless it's a short term one. Because you've got to remember, he's um, just checking his age. He's twenty eight. He's going to be twenty nine in the next playoffs. So let's say someone gives him a five year max. You don't want to be paying a thirty four year old five foot nine point guard. He'll be close to thirty million dollars. You don't want to do that. So. I think they've got to keep just because he makes their offense tick. People are scared of him, even if he is a sieve on defense. They are scared <laughs> of him just because he can he can score thirty points in the you know click of his fingers. Um, this team they they have to nail this draft pick. You know if they don't want to go with Markel Fultz, don't go with him. You, I think that's the one good thing about Danny Ainge. He doesn't care what people think of him. Yeah, he doesn't so listen it, to people, does he? No, he doesn't. I, th- I think that's good in a way. It c- it can be bad, but I think so far it's been good. They've got some movable assets there. They've got people like Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. People will always be willing to take guys like that on. They're three and D players. They can defend multiple positions. I think that this roster is going to look very different without stating the obvious because there's just a lot of guys here who I think are good players, but they're not what the Celtics need right now. I think Marcus Smart could be one of those who gets moved because Terry Rozier's look good. As you said to me before the podcast, they want to bolster their front court. That doesn't surprise me at all. Outside of Al Horford, they've just got guys there. You know, there's no one there who makes a difference, really. I wouldn't even rate Al Horford after the way he played this year. Like, I, like, I know he's been in the league nine, like, be his tenth season next season, but he's not exactly come in and overhauled. Like, I generally think he was part of the plan. Like, grab him, grab Durant, and then we'd build around the three guys, like those three guys, those pillars, and. They're missing that. That they kind of miss that Durant guy. I, I think the thing is with him that's good about him is he's the he's the only stretch center in the league at this point in time. I think that's realistic for them. So, like a stat I saw the other day, the most open shots created in the league last year were by Atlanta. This year, it was by Boston. Yeah. So, I think I think that's what he does. Even it, I'm with you. I don't think he's that good. He's probably a top forty player. I wouldn't have him any higher, but he creates all that space, and I think he is important for that offense because it's it's quite a unique offense. Brad Stevens runs, but they need they need to land another player as well as they, a, they need like a board dominant forward. Like they need a Tristan Thompson type player, I think, to cancel out Al Horford. I think the thing is with that, I think Brad Stevens he likes everyone to be able to contribute. On so the perfect yeah. guy for them, which I wrote yesterday, I think Hassan Whiteside would have been the perfect guy there. But everyone bought into this narrative that Whiteside was, you know, selfish and overrated. I think if you put Whiteside in this team, I think they're really dangerous because he'd, he'd rebound, but he doesn't... The thing with Whiteside is he doesn't um, offer nothing offensively. You know, he, can, he can hit from mid-range. He's a good role man as well. That's what they need to find. They need to find a, a role center who can rebound because I... I think that's the only way that they're going to be able to get through it. But I'm interested to see what direction they're going because they've got a lot of good pieces in place. But put it this way, their future depends on how good faults can become because that's probably who they're going to draft. Or if they might even trade the pick. Like I was, I was reading during the week that the Boston press are like, well, that, that Danny Ainge is floating the idea of sending the first pick away and the destination I saw was to New York for Kristaps Porzingis. 
Well, I'd do that every day of the week if I was Boston, I think. Like, Paul Zingis would... In fact, he'd improve them as rebounding as well. Yeah, because he's not been happy in New York. and He's he's a good rim protector as well, Paul Zingis. You know, that, that's certainly fair. I think a lot of people, when they talk about trading the number one pit, they go... <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. People, people say you can't do that, but... I think when the guy like Paul Zingas is available, I think you pull the trigger, especially when you've got another one next year. Yeah, like if the Lakers trade the two pick, no one's blinking an eyelid. The Celtics trade the first pick and everyone's in uproar. It's like, you can't do that. Like, that's part of your master plan. It's like, well, it's not part of your master plan if the guy you're going to be drafting, the best player in the draft, is playing a position you've already got. That's that's the other thing with this team. Like, as I said, Omega, Danny Ainge doesn't care what people think. If he wants to trade that number one pick, he's going to do it, you know? He knows that Brad Stevens will support him. He knows Celtics fans will support him. But I do think they need to land another free agent. Um, you know, whether it's Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward. That man's name again. <laughs> so whether it's Jimmy Butler. Even if they want to go for like a, a second level, want to go. I know this isn't going to sound very exciting, but someone like Danilo Gallinari. They need they need an extra offensive spot because the problem was in the playoffs. Thomas score. was getting double teamed. They, he'd pass it off and there was no one who could slash into the paint. So all the Cavs were doing, they were man marking on the perimeter and they were just forcing Thompson to pass it. And they weren't letting people go inside because they knew Celtics didn't have the guys who could do it. So yeah, I, I think they'll keep Thomas. I think they should. You know, I'm a big believer in what Alvin Gentry said about a year ago. He said, you, you never trade uh, great for good. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me saying that Thomas is great because he's not a good defender, but the objective of basketball is to score the ball. And he does that very well. And you've got to remember, they've got a young guard coming. I, I would imagine they're taking a guard. I can't see them taking a forward in the draft if they keep the pick, of course. But if they do get rid of the pick, it's going to be for a damn good player. It's going to be for a Paul Zingis or a Paul George. or a- Yeah, it's an impact. It's like an immediate impact now move, effectively. Exactly. As and opposed to waiting it. out, which is what you do when you, you draft someone effectively. And they got the Nets pit next year as well. They drafted two Euros in last year's draft. And one of them, I think his name's Sizic, he's a Croatian centre. He's looked really good in Turkey. So the future's bright for them, whatever move they go. Which is quite, why I kind of, I bet Danny Ainge is the envy of every general manager in the league because he's just in such a good position. Like I saw someone on Twitter the other day that was saying that an executive privately said, so I think it was Mark Stain, that like the Angels got something big planned for this off season, and everyone's quite scared of how calm he is about it. <laughs> but it's easy to because he's got insane job security, he's got picks loaded, he's got a good coach. Your Brad Stevens got a team with Isaiah Thomas as their best player to the one seed. Like they're they're in good shape, whatever direction they want to go. Yeah, they're going to end up with like two of the bigger three agents in this this summer or something. They're going to just pull up something nobody expects. It's like the Paul George question, like. People were floating that around, but I don't really like. I don't know. Like, if, it's like a rental bringing in poor George, surely, because he's so obsessed with playing for the Lakers for some stupid reason. Yeah, and to be honest, I think Jimmy Butler's the better player. Anyway. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd take Jimmy Butler. Every, I'm a Lakers fan. I'd take Jimmy Butler every day of the week. Yeah, I think I would as well. George is like a great defender, but he can be his, his shot selection is quite bad at times. And I think that could be a problem in the Boston team. But then again, you know, if Brad Steve, not Brad Steve, if Danny Ainge wants to trade that number one pick for Paul George, like, it's Paul George. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. That's, that's really what you can expect out of a number one pick. You know, if they're as good as Paul George, yes, maybe they're not a franchise changer, but it's Paul George, you know, he's a top 20 player. So, 
Yeah, I'm very interested to see the direction they go. And I'm interested to see where the likes of Avery Bradley end up as well, because they're guys who are going to be in demand. Another guy who's going to be in demand is Chris Paul. Where the hell does he end up? Um, the Clippers have come out this week and said it is they are overwhelmingly the favourites to re-sign Chris Paul this summer. Um, the Spurs have come... Well, there's been leaks that he's interested in San Antonio, which is no surprise. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, we talked about this the other week. I think he makes a he's a great fit for the San Antonio Spurs, but it's that ego question. It's that personality question that I think might clash with what the Spurs do and how their organisation is run. It's an interesting one because I don't think he's going to win a ring in Los Angeles. I know that's not a hot take really, but <laughs> I just I can't see it happening at this point in time because you've got to remember Reddick is a free agent this summer. Griffin is a free agent. They've got a mediocre coach who is also a terrible general manager. They've got no bench. How old is he? He's probably, what, about 32 now, I think? Just double-check that quickly. He's, yeah, 32. Paul, he's yeah. he's going to be 33 in the next playoffs. So he's knocking on about I would like to see him go elsewhere. But I don't like the idea that like the Spurs is the only place to win. Like For example, I don't know what New Orleans cap um, situation is like. Let's say he does go back there. Like This is the thing with a guy like Chris Paul. You stick him on any team in the league, he makes them a contender, I think. I, I, I really believe that. Like, I'd even say, if you put Chris Paul on the Knicks, I think that's an Eastern Conference contender. If you put Chris Paul on the... I don't know. You, in fact, you put Chris Paul on the Lakers, they're probably a playoff team next year. Like That's yeah, how good... Yeah. Everyone forgets how good this guy is. So I'm with you that the Spurs makes a lot of sense, but I think I think like he's if he's open to offers... I think he would consider an offer from a team like, I don't know, the Nuggets or the Timberwolves. I really do think he'd consider it. Yeah, it's an interesting one because if he signs for the Nuggets or someone like the Timberwolves, then you've got the youth to to build around and tailor into playing the same way you like to play, which is something he never really had with the Clippers. Like The Clippers were very set in in their ways when he turned up and... I don't know. It was almost like it was a backup destination for him in the first place after the whole the David Stern veto in the move to the Lakers. Um, but he's one of those guys that he's the best point guard in the NBA. He's going to have an impact wherever he goes. If he goes to the Eastern Conference, he's going to make it incredibly interesting. Like him on Milwaukee would be frightening. Like him with Giannis and Chris Middleton and those other young guys they've got there. That's a frightening team, but I think if he wants his chance to win, the only problem he's got is in the West Conference is it's still the Warriors to lose next season, even if they lose this final series. Like they're still going to keep everyone unless Durant goes back to Oklahoma for some strange reason. But um, I think the Spurs makes a hell of a lot of sense. Like I think if he plays alongside Kawhi Leonard and he's willing to adapt to Kawhi and and realize that Kawhi is the guy that. You know, you can't you, you can't be the hero every night. You're gonna to have to be the secondary guy, and I think he would be great in that role for for that team. And he'd just fit in with the the system they've got. It's just the personality thing that that is for me. Like he's been known for years as being the alpha dog. Like he's the guy in the dressing room who pisses you off. Like if you've done something wrong on the court, he's gonna walk up to you know sprint up behind you and tell you. Like he's done it in playoff games before. Like he's had a go at DeAndre Jordan or he's had a go at Blake Griffin or. Whoever it is, like, come, you know, Doc Rivers, uh, Rivers is coming off the bench the last few years. Like, he, he will have a go at you. He just verbally abuses players. And I don't know, I don't know if that's a good thing to have on your team, but he's certainly a guy that I think is going to have a lot of destinations this summer. But whether the Clippers are the overwhelming favorites to re-sign him, I don't know. I mean, I mean, they can, they can offer him more money, I'd imagine. So that'd probably be why. 
I think they're favourites just because he seems to like it there. I don't really know why. His career's done. <laughs> maybe maybe that's part of it, but like he seems to like being there. He seems to get on with Steve Ballmer, the owner, is one of the best owners in the league. But here's the thing, this is a this is a question that's coming up on Twitter a lot as well as people slag players off for ring chasing. Like you had the whole thing with Ray Allen a couple of months ago where those all the Celtics got together and yeah, I, I missed that. that. It was it was embarrassing. No offense to any Celtics fans there, but it's kind of like it was five years ago, and Alan won a second ring. None of them did, so I think he was quite clearly in the right. But this is this is my point. Everyone slags players like that off for ring chasing, but then Chris Paul will stay in Los Angeles. People go, "Well, he's an idiot. He's not going to win a ring there." So yeah, it, it, there's a lot of hypocrites out there. Free agent. I personally think he should go chasing the ring just because he's a generational talent. He's not one of these players who's like always demanded a move away. He would have stayed in New Orleans, I think, if they'd let him. If they'd have been in a good situation, he'd have stayed there. Yeah, he would. He would even if they were just like a perennial fifty-win team, five seed. He would have stayed there for his career. Well, until probably until about now, when he's thirty-two, he's he's got to go and chase that ring, man. This he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was. He's just such a good player, and I think people forget it, Sunder, because I don't think he's flashy. Yeah, he runs a lot of pick and roll. Now he's not a guy who's going to run up the field and isolate someone and shoot a fadeaway. That's not his game. But he is the pick and roll master, and I would love to see him in a conference finals, let alone an NBA finals, because I think he's a big game player. Oh, people call yeah. him a playoff. People call him a playoff choker. That's just so stupid. Uh, game yeah, seven is- versus the Spurs a few years back, he was by no means a choker. He's he's not. Like I think I read a great article recently on someone saying that you know, we shouldn't define players by their playoff moments, and I completely agree with it because I think people go, well, if he's not won a ring, he's a playoff choker. But if he has won a ring, he's not. And to me, that's just such like a blanket way of of looking at the league. He's he's a great player. Any team would love him, and I. As I've said, I'd I'd love to see him on the Spurs because I think that's something that could maybe revitalize the West a bit. I know it kind of contradicts what I said earlier about the NBA being a bit more compared, but like if you put Paul on the Spurs, I think they're as good as the Warriors. I really do believe that. Just because Pop will always find bench players, he will find them from nowhere. Yeah, John, Jonathan Simmons, what didn't he pay fifty quid for a tryout? Yeah, Pop finds these guys. He will always find these guys. And that's another reason he should go to the Spurs over the Clippers, because the Clippers don't find those guys. There's no youth development in the Clippers. So, yeah, I would love to see him in San Antonio. No, they're another organization with no sense of direction. Um, anyway, we're going to call it a quits because we've been on here for over an hour now, I think. Um, the website, as always, is doubleclutchpodcast.co.uk. Um, if you are watching the NBA Finals on th- on Friday morning, yeah, I got that right, on Friday morning, then please do tweet hashtag NBA in the UK and we'll... Uh, favorite and retweet and and comment on the best ones and and do what we do with regards to the social sphere we're on instagram it's double clutch uk facebook double clutch uk and uh yeah just keep an eye on everything this week because it'll obviously kick off with with the the third episode of what has been an incredible finals uh trilogy so far and it's going to be interesting just to see how many people actually are watching it on thursday night if we want to see how you know bring up bring about this question of um whether the league's rubbish or the the playoffs have been boring, we'll have to see what the figures are like for the playoffs because uh, for the finals, sorry, because last year's uh, TV figures for the finals were were something ridiculous, weren't they? So, I imagine there will be this year. Yeah, everyone will be watching it in America. 
It's like must, must, it's the, the biggest film of the year. <laughs> right, we'll be back soon, guys. Thank you for listening. Good night. What do you see? San Antonio is back on top once again. There's only one answer. Those who make it here. Take their place forever. When you get to the top, the dream season is now complete. Only one label sticks. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The NBA Finals begin June 1st on ABC.